Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. What a disastrous day one for House Republicans particularly, but for the Republican Party overall. Uh, This is the last thing they needed. You know, the message was supposed to be, this is a new day. This is a new team. This is a new direction for America. Republicans are in charge. Instead, all everybody was talking about was the debacle of first I mean, the headline, so the headline on the New York Times yesterday, uh, Tuesday, was House guts, House Republicans gut their ethics office. The headline today in the New York Times is House GOP abandons bid to stifle ethics office. Yes, can you believe the very first thing that they did even before Congress reconvene was to hold a secret meeting and take a secret vote on a national holiday to get rid of the House Office of Congressional Ethics. Uh, Even Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham, uh, yesterday uh, appearing with Brian Kilmeade, uh, host of Fox and Friends in the Morning, co-host of Fox and Friends in the Morning, uh, appearing on uh, Senator Graham, appearing on Brian Gilmey's radio show, said, "This is just freaking stupid." The dumbest friggin' thing I've ever heard. <laughs> the first thing you do after getting a mandate from the American people is introduce defanging the ethics committee. That is not the message the House needs to send to the American people. No, because the message it sends to the American people is. We are crooks, and we want to get the cops off the beat so we can continue to take all the bribes that we want as members of Congress. A total, total disaster. You know, House Republicans did, in fact, think about it. They did the impossible. They made Donald Trump look like a grown-up. It looked like the grown-up in the room because if it was after massive Massive editorial comment. The phones on the Capitol just by basically broke down. There were so many people calling uh, and texting about what a stupid move this was. And then Donald Trump tweeted out and said, "This is the last thing that House Republicans ought to be going ought to be doing." And he was right; they were wrong, and they did cave and reverse themselves in a vote yesterday. This was also, uh, there's a lot of things going on, but this was a good moment for organizing for Democrats because totally. people, rightfully yep. so, freaked out over yes. this. Yeah. And they right. called, yeah. and they let him know. Absolutely. No. And But I'll tell you, I think this, this is, okay, so they didn't, they didn't do what they wanted to do. They wanted to gut the House Ethics Office. They didn't get away with it. They had to publicly retreat. But... We learned a lot from this. 
I think what we learned from this, and this is very, very important, friends, what we learned is, number one, the crazies are still in charge, okay? The extreme right-wing Tea Party people are still in charge. They're the ones who organize this because they said, we don't want all this pressure. We don't want people to be able to, we don't want an office where people who know that Congress, members of Congress are doing something wrong, doing something illegal, uh, taking bribes, for example. I mean, that's, that's, that's what some members of Congress have been caught doing. That's why they created this office in the first place in 2008, because there were Republicans and Democrats who were taking bribes. But the House Ethics Committee, which is made up of other members of Congress, would look the other way. They refused to go after their fellow members of Congress. That's why they created this independent office. But the so House House Republicans that they who, who wanted to get rid of this were the most extreme conservative Tea Party members of Congress. They are still in charge. They got what they wanted. And Paul Ryan. The second thing we learned is that Paul Ryan and Kevin McCarthy are just hopelessly weak leaders. They couldn't stop it. I mean, a Speaker of the House and somebody puts up a crazy motion like this, and again for a secret vote on a secret meeting on a national holiday and the Speaker of the House lets it happen. So the cra- we learned the crazies are in charge. We learned that the leadership of the House is really, really weak. But the other thing we learned is, and Peter, you just touched on it, that public pressure does make a difference, that fighting back does work, that we can stop this crowd of elephants from doing bad, crazy things during the next four years we did it on day one, and we can continue to do it if, if the American public responds the way they did for this first crazy move on the part of Republicans. So I think this was a, what do they call that? A teachable moment. That's it. Right? I believe our, our current president taught us that phrase. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that's what he calls it. So uh, let's, let's uh, take those lessons uh, well learned and, uh, and, take, uh, and take advantage of them. Um, day one with the Congressional Ethics. Uh, now, let's shift to today's big showdown on Capitol Hill. This is a showdown over Obamacare, and they're calling in all the big guns. 9.45 this morning, President Obama will be on Capitol Hill to caucus. First time he's ever done this, I believe, that I can recall. Uh, caucusing with both the House Democrats and the Senate Democrats all at one time on how they can fight the fight to prevent the repeal of Obamacare, or at which is the Republicans' number one target, or at least to preserve as much as they can of Obamacare. At the same time, or at least sometime today, uh, Mike Pence, you know, Donald Trump doesn't do any real work, right? Doesn't do any dirty work. Mm-hmm. He just delegates everything to Mike Pence. We've already seen that, okay? So Mike Pence, vice president-elect, will be on the Hill today to caucus with House and Senate Republicans to uh, figure, figure out a plan for what they have promised for the last seven years, which is to repeal Obamacare as fast as they can, given the chance, and this is indeed their opportunity. Now, what do we think about this? First, by the way, love to hear from you on Twitter uh, because I think so many of you realize have been able to sign up for health insurance for the first time for yourself and your family in your life thanks to Obamacare. And you've, you've heard me 
talk about Obamacare. Obamacare is definitely, in my judgment, not the best plan. It gets us closer to universal health care than we've ever been in this country. There are 21 million American families who now have health coverage, health insurance, who could never have afforded it before. That's really, really good. But there's still some 30 million who don't have health insurance, and the insurance companies are still in charge, and the pharmaceutical companies are still in charge, and prescription drugs are, are even more expensive than they've ever been. And that'll continue to be the case as long as the insurance companies are in the middle of it until we get to a single-payer health system, which I believe is the only way to go. So Obamacare is an imperfect plan, but it's still a hell of a lot better than having the insurance companies strictly in charge and having no opportunity for people to get federal subsidies to help them buy uh, health insurance or for the federal government to, to keep the brakes on rising costs of medical care and insurance premiums. So it's definitely, definitely something worth saving. But if I were Republican, Republicans, I've got to admit this, Republicans have no choice. They have to repeal Obamacare because they've, that's all they've talked about for seven years. And if they, and they do, now that they have both the control of the House and the Senate and the White House, if they did not deliver by voting to repeal Obamacare, they'd have zero credibility as a party. So they're going to vote. They have to, and they're going to vote within the next week, two weeks at the most, to repeal. I mean, they got to get somebody in there to sign the bill. Uh, they're going to vote to repeal Obamacare. But you know what? This is the classic case of what happens when the dog finally catches the car. Oh, my God. Now, what do I do? Because that's the big question. You can't replace it, repeal it, and replace it with nothing. you got to repeal it and replace it with something. But guess what? The Republicans don't have anything to replace it with. They have no plan. Congress is back in session which gives us a chance to uh, say hello and a happy new year to a good friend representing Michigan's 5th Congressional District, the Honorable Dan Kildee. Hello, Congressman. Great Howdy. to see you. Good to be back. So um, Republicans got off to a good start. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how about know, that? It's really interesting. Less, they the most important thing is to, is yeah. to wreck the ethics office. Well, right? they lost their first fight before it started. That's not a good beginning. But just imagine but if... But why pick this fight in the first place? just beyond me. Imagine, though, if back in November they said, you know, on day... You know, it's always about day one. Right. In fact, yeah. when Trump gets... Day one <laughs> is going to be a long day. But on day one, we're going to eliminate the Office of Congressional Ethics, and that's what we're running on. Now, what would, it, what would have been the reaction of the American public? The idea, though, that they could meet the night before we open the session debate how they're going to open and decide that on day one that the first action that they would take, it really would be the adoption of the rules, mm -hmm. the first legislative action mm -hmm. after the uh, election Swear of the again. speaker, yep. right, right, would be to adopt rules that eliminates the independent office of congressional ethics. Why? Yeah, who came up with this idea? Apparently people who are nervous about the office of congressional ethics. <laughs> That's what I would assume. <laughs> 
You know, I, for, I think of the few things we have remaining that provides people with some shred of confidence that the Congress can actually function. It's that there's this watchdog that if you, if you go too far, and frankly, it's worked. We've seen some mm-hmm. members yes. have to resign, Republicans face charges. and Democrats. Republicans and Democrats. Right. It's, they're, they're an equal opportunity uh, enforcer, as they should be. Don't fix what's not broken. Now, if you know, if there are some changes that need to be made, I suppose that there's an argument that there could be. Make those changes, but don't take the independent nature of this oversight uh, office and eliminate that. Now, one of those who argued for the change yesterday, uh, a certain congressman from uh, Iowa, uh, he says that all they want is to give members of Congress the same protection that one famous uh, individual in history did get. Jesus had the right to face his accusers. He asserted that before the high priest. Sure. And we're saying members of Congress shouldn't be shouldn't why, have why that? Should... So all members of Congress should have the same justice that Jesus got. I don't recall that uh, he was <laughs> treated very yeah. fairly by the high how'd priest. How'd that work by out? The way. Yeah, how'd that <laughs> yeah. work out? <laughs> now, Barabbas did okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but isn't that insane that comparing themselves to Jesus Christ? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. for certain members, it's uh, it's not unusual. The crazies are still in yeah. charge, and you know, let's face it, <laughs> they really blew it. Yeah, and they ought to just acknowledge that and move on because the idea that they can defend this or somehow rationalize what they uh, attempted to do. Let's face it, they thought they were going to be able to sort of pull a fast one. They figured if they met at 9 o'clock at night and voted to do this and brought it to the right, floor at noon, right. other stuff would be going on. Yeah. The other thing, though, we have to ask ourselves is that what is it about the current environment in Washington with the transition to President Trump that would have these members think that the ethical standards now are such that you could get away with eliminating the independent office of congressional mm-hmm. ethics. It does seem as though, and you know, I'm, I'm going to keep an open mind. I'm supposed to, and I have to. But it does seem as though Trump has been sort of dismissive of this notion of ethical standards. Well, you yeah. know, for, even for himself or for his cabinet appointees. Uh, uh, and maybe that's the environment that allowed this moment to occur. Well, that th- that irony was not lost on, on a lot of people. The irony that it would be Donald Trump, of all people, who would chastise House yeah. Republicans in yeah. his tweet for being a little loose uh, you could when take, it comes you to could, ethics. You could, you, could, <laughs> you could question whether that's duplicitous. Or you could say, wow, how far have the congressional Republicans fallen yeah. when Donald Trump is the standard bearer of ethics and has to call them for their misdeeds? I think you're onto something when you say, I mean, there's certainly an environment has been created where they think that that's okay because it was brazen. And I think they thought they were going to get away with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but let me ask you a question. Do you give Donald Trump any credit? for having Republicans back down because they were all for it until he tweeted about it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to. I mean, frankly, this thing would have blown up anyway. Yeah. Donald Trump is in some ways sort of the Wayne Gretzky of politics. Uh, He doesn't decide where the puck goes, but he sure knows where to go to find it. He he knew where Mm -hmm. this was going to land. He got out in front of it pretty well. 
And, you know, so will I acknowledge that, you know, he and I share the same view of this particular act? Yeah. But he knew where this was going. And he got out in front of it and found a way to be ahead of the House Republicans. But I ran to a member of one of your colleagues yesterday who did ask this question, though. What does this mean? Does this mean that every time Donald Trump tweets, Republicans are going to fold? It could be. I mean, this is not going to be... A, 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 a good pattern for these folks. Yeah. Uh, because he's, look at, Donald Trump is a lot of things, but a loyal Republican is not one of them. In fact, a loyal anything doesn't seem to be one of them. He, he's loyal to Donald Trump. He's loyal to his own interests. And I think they need to be prepared for the fact that he will not have their back. Isn't there another point here, though, too, which is that, yes, Donald Trump tweeted and they, and they folded but the American people responded too. I mean, they there was did. enormous, enormous outburst of outrage over this. Well, somebody and asked doesn't me that, that show maybe give, give us hope that yeah. public pressure works for right? sure. Isn't that a message here? I, I think that does make a difference, and I think that's going to have to be something we keep in mind as we go forward. Our argument over pick an issue. Let's just say the Affordable Care Act. I was going to go there. Our argument over the Affordable Care Act can't be with Republicans in Congress. Our message has to go to the people of the United States. They will decide whether or not the Affordable Care Act is repealed. They will make that decision. Because, and I do think this is where, you know, the Trump issue, what got folks isn't Donald Trump's tweet, but those folks who respond to that, those folks who got on their phones and called congressional offices and said, what are you doing? When they start to figure out, when people begin to figure out that what the House Republicans or the congressional Republicans are intending to do, repealing the Affordable Care Act, repealing Obamacare doesn't mean anything. Repealing your right to health care, repealing your right to an affordable premium for health insurance, repealing the right to keep your child on your uh, insurance until they're 26 years old, repealing your right to insurance even if you have diabetes, repealing your right to keep your insurance even if you get cancer. That's what people are going to have to respond to. So all the elements of the Affordable Care Act, uh, essentially that's what the Affordable Care Act is. So when it comes to this issue, of how we're going to deal with Trump or how we're going to deal with the House Republicans. We've got to keep in mind it's the American people that we work for and it's the American people that can make anything happen if they speak up. You're going to be meeting with President Obama, you and your colleagues, uh, a little bit later this morning, a couple of hours from now. Uh, Is there any way that Democrats are able to block the repeal of Obamacare? Well, in the Senate, obviously, they have more tools than we have in the House. Uh, They will be able to pass a bill in the House of Representatives if they choose to. They're clearly... They've already done it how many times? 56 times or whatever. Of course, you know, it's interesting. They did that always knowing that they had the protection of Barack Obama's veto pen, Mm -hmm. keeping them from the responsibility of their own actions. Mm -hmm. They don't have that any longer. (laughs) Right. So, (laughs) you know. Barack Obama's not there to say He was their best friend (laughs) in many ways because they could be against the uh, Affordable Care Act. They could rail against it all the time. They could go back home and say, you know, we repealed that 56 times or whatever, and Obama wouldn't sign the legislation or the Senate wouldn't take it up, whatever. They don't have that luxury any longer. And I think they're beginning to come face to face with this. 
But it might, I guess the main point that I, I think is mm-hmm. the most important one, and this is really important for, for your listeners and anybody out there who's engaged, we do respond when people call. We respond. If, if we get 100 phone calls on a particular subject on a given day, it gets the attention of that member of Congress in a real significant way. And I'm sure, going back to the, uh, to the ethics issue, I'm sure that was the principal difference that we saw from you know, Monday night to Tuesday morning. So if that seems to I, what I hear you're saying is that that seems to be where Democrats have to go, right, is getting that message out. Here's what they're doing and here's what it means to you and your family. Not only in terms of how we govern and legislate, but it was kind of an important lesson we should have heeded in the 2016 election. Take that message to the American people. Activate them. They're the best advocates for themselves. They're the people we work for. Our job, I think now, is to educate people, help them understand how their interests are manifest in these decisions that we are about to make. And ACA is the best example. It's easy to be against something. But when Republicans commit to dismantle what has provided health insurance, health care, to many millions, 20 million more people than ever Mm -hmm. before, and actually assured that those people who carry an insurance card with them actually have it. This is one of the things that's not so well known about the ACA. It's not just about the expansion of coverage, the number of people covered. That's important. But the fact that people who have an insurance card, who walk around sort of with the comfort that they have health insurance, that they know that even if they get sick, that card stays in their pocket. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Under the previous environment, yeah. if you got sick, you got dropped. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So it it, it it was right. It was there until you needed it. Under under this new uh, uh, ACA system, that doesn't happen anymore. Or my daughter, who's a diabetic, who is twenty four years old, who in a couple of years, year and a half, is going to be twenty six. Mm. Yeah. She knows Jeez. right now, she'll be okay. She'll be able to get insurance at an affordable rate. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Katie Kildees out there who yeah. are, and, and parents of those kids who are wondering what will happen when they turn 26 if they have an ex- a pre existing condition. And That's my- who we need to talk to the parents of those kids or the brothers and sisters. Uh, sons and daughters of people who will lose their health care and will have all that uncertainty if the Republicans actually do what they say they're going to do. And a lot of them are Republicans, and a lot of them voted for Donald Trump. Exactly. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Where do we look for leadership today? Maybe not in Washington at all. Carolyn Fiddler is communications director for the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee. 
Carolyn, good to see you. Happy New Year. Thank you very much. You too. Uh, I want to look at the states, but I got to got to start with North Carolina. Oh boy. I mean, talk about a debacle again, right? Yes. Where um, Republicans just they, they don't seem to 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 be able to get their stuff together down there. Do we now have a new governor, finally, of North yes. Carolina? Yes. They, they, they were not able to stop the Democrat from being sworn in, although if they had come up, if they had been able to come up with a way, I'm sure they would have uh, done it. But uh, there's now a Democratic governor in North Carolina, and that's very exciting. And how did, so how did this all play out? I mean, uh, This played out because uh, the Republicans in the North Carolina legislature uh, have, were elected three times already this decade in illegally racially gerrymandered districts. So they have massive majorities at this point, currently veto-proof majorities in both chambers. And so they were so incensed that uh, the Republican governor lost. uh, Pat McCrory. mm -hmm, uh, Partially because of HB2. Um, Some people think largely because of HB2. Uh, that they decided that um, they would strip the incoming Democratic governor of as much power as they possibly could. And legally, they were absolutely able to do so. And they did. Uh, Roy Cooper? Yes. Yeah, right. So they did. I I know the the legislature was called back into special session. Yes. So basically, first, McCrory just refused to accept the results of the election. He did. He was the worst sore loser I think I've seen maybe ever in, uh, in my political career. Right. It's a bad scene. Uh, so he went, and then he not only refused to accept the returns. What did they do? A recount? Uh, they he tried to, but it was outside the range of a recount by the time it got to that point. So he was, he he wanted it, but it just didn't make sense because so then he his really next, lost. His <laughs> next step was to call the legislature back in special session. Mm-hmm. They were dealing with a, as I recall, some emergency relief measure, and they said, yes. "Now that we're here, we're going to uh, to to strip the the governor of." the office of governor of as much power as they possibly could. exactly what they did. Last time there was a Democratic governor, um, before McCrory, uh, there were only about 500 uh, gubernatorial appointees. After the Republican became governor, the Republicans in the legislature expanded that appointment power to like about 1,500 appointees. And now they've scaled it back to about mm, 300, I believe, appointees. Among other things, the electoral boards, which became a huge issue in the past election because uh, of the implementation of the court order overturning that terrible uh, election, set of election laws that passed a few years ago. Uh, the Republicans in the state said, hey, Republican-led election boards, do whatever, still do whatever you can to make it hard for people to vote. Um, and because with a Republican governor, Republicans had a majority in all these local election boards. They were able to do that in a lot of places, and they made voting very hard for a lot of people, uh, despite the court order. But now that there is a Democratic governor, the Democrat is supposed to have Democrats are supposed to have a majority on all electoral boards, including local boards, mm-hmm. except for with this new law. Oh, they're split fifty-fifty. Right, because we can't have a Democrat in charge of these things. So apparently. is Cooper going to be able to govern? He's got a Republican legislature, both houses, I guess. Right, mm-hmm. and now. Um, lost a lot of his governing abilities or powers. Well, the people of North Carolina did elect him. Uh, and so he d- definitely certainly has the authority of the people in the fact that th- these illegally gerrymandered uh, districts elected all these Republicans doesn't undermine his, his, his uh, mandate to lead the state. Also, they're going to be, well... There might be elections this year, legislative <laughs> yeah. uh, elections. Uh, there's some court uh, maneuvering going on with that right now as well. Hey, I want to ask you about something with North Carolina because 
all of this stuff that's happened, mm-hmm. right, for years now in North Carolina. North Carolina was sort of the um, canary in the coal mine, I guess, when you talk about just like rampant conservatism taking over a place, right, which is what we're facing as a nation here. But um, there was a, a, a quote from a political scientist, University of North Carolina, that says that North Carolina is no longer a functioning democracy. That through all of what has happened between the voting rights and the gerrymandering and the taking the powers away from the governor and the the all the petty BS that's gone on there, that they have so functionally dismantled the government that you can no longer call it a democracy. Um, is that hyperbole? I think it is. I don't think that's really okay. helpful either in terms of sure. actually uh, – uh, either leading Democrats back into power there or a governing period for either party. Yeah. But uh, I, I see the point that this scientist is trying sure. to make. Things are bad. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think that's helpful. We're very excited to be joined by now the president of a great organization that I've been uh, close to and a supporter of from its very, very beginning, Emily's List and Stephanie Shriak. It's good to see you. Happy New Year. Well, Happy New Year, Bill. It's great to be here. It's good that you're in such good form. We all suffered such a wretched loss on November 8th. But um, so what do we do now? Pick yeah. ourselves up? And- That's, yes. You know, I, I'm hoping everybody has picked themselves up because the fight is here and we need we need everybody. It's not coming. Yeah, it's, it's here. here. It's here. This is the time. Uh, <clears throat> And it's, you know, we took an opportunity this week. You know, we probably have talked a little bit about this, but of course, we just had the congressional swearing in yesterday. And you can imagine, particularly the staff and members of Emily's List who have had a roller coaster ride, uh, mm-hmm. whose hearts were obviously broken uh, on Election Day. We had to remind everybody that we actually had a lot of success this year, and it was really the Emily's List Democratic women who came through this uh, and won seats, and we had an opportunity to celebrate that. And yesterday we saw the them. Ins. We saw them yesterday being being sworn in, particularly yeah. at some of the new members of the Senate. Um, Tell us about them. We're very proud of our Kamala Harris from California, yes, of course. Yes, as are we. I mean, this is an extraordinary but moment. She's I, a historic figure. She I mean, is. So, I yeah. was going to say, and, and there's, she's one of many who have come in as historic figures this this year. I mean, Kamala Harris, you know, as as you know, you know, started as a DA in in San Francisco. Uh, took a long shot run to get there. By the way, some people mm-hmm. forget, but it was like a huge race. She was like way down in the polls and surprised everybody, becomes attorney general of California uh, and now is taking Barbara Boxer's uh, seat, which it's hard to believe Barbara Boxer's not going to be there anymore. But what a perfect person. (laughs) Kamala has been an incredible uh, proponent for justice, criminal justice reforms in this country. She's done some really great work as attorney general. She's also an African-American, South Asian-American. She's the second ever African-American woman in the United States Senate, Mm. uh, which is a good thing and a problem we need to keep working on because that's yeah. ridiculous. Uh, and that's part of the story of yesterday uh, for Emily's List and for the Senate of the four new Democratic women who came in. Three of them are women of color in an institution that's only ever had two in its history. Wow. And so that only is the, that is a change of the face. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's extraordinary. It is. It's stunning. I'm really excited about it. Um, and uh, some of the other 
of the the four women of the others. Absolutely. From- so you've got you've got Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada, mm-hmm. the first Latina. Mm-hmm. Ever in the Senate again? Again, wonderful and awful at the same time. But yeah. Yeah. she's the first of many. Let's just take the yes. victory. She's yes. the first of many. Uh, another uh, former Attorney General who did an amazing job, particularly dealing with the foreclosure crisis as Attorney General in Nevada, and really brings some expertise uh, to the United States Senate. Uh, she's joined with our. Iraq War hero, Purple Heart recipient Tammy Duckworth In, yeah, from Illinois. Um, many of many of your listeners know this is a an incredible, incredible woman. She's keep in mind she's Asian American uh, who served just valiantly in in Iraq. She lost. She lost both her legs in an attack there, uh, and really through some amazing internal strength that she has came through it all uh, to continue her service in elected office after she served our country in the military. Yeah. And she's to just see incredible. Her, I know her well. It's, just, she's just, wonderful. Yeah, she's yeah. wonderful. And to see her standing, and she was in fact standing on the floor of the United States Senate yesterday getting sworn in. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get choked up just yeah. talking about it, but it was really uh, an incredible an incredible moment. And those three are joined uh, by Maggie Hassan in mm-hmm. that squeaker of a race in New <laughs> yeah. Hampshire uh, this year. And Maggie Hassan, for those who may not know her as well, uh, she's the former governor. She's someone Emily's List has been working with, uh, in fact, since her, well, since she was thinking about running for the state Senate. We actually trained her and convinced her to run for state Senate. State Senate. State Senate. Yeah. State Senate. I knew, I knew, I knew my partner here would be like, yes. Yeah. And that matters because that's our pipeline is the state Senate, the state legislatures. And Maggie Hassan is precisely that story. Uh, And remember, she won and then she lost her state Senate seat. And then we, Emily's List, called her up and said, okay. What are we doing next? Because in our mind, a loss is just a step in the process. Exactly. You you just keep going. You just keep going. Convinced her to run for governor. She did. She won. Uh, And then two years ago, we, well, a year and a half ago, we, with others, begged Mm -hmm. her to run for the United States Senate seat. She took it on. She won. Um, New Hampshire now has a fully all-Democratic woman federal delegation. Is that right? Yes. Wow. New Hampshire does. <laughs> New wow. Hampshire. You got Jean Whoa. Shaheen and Maggie yeah. Hassan in the yeah. Senate. Uh, you've got Annie Annie Custer um, in the House, and now joined again by Carol Shea Porter back in the House again. New Hampshire. Well, congratulations. Thank so, you. So, if 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 one asks the question, does the Hillary Clinton's loss destroy the chance of women running? For office. Oh, heavens no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, it could I, have maybe I, just the opposite Bill, effect, Bill, I was right? just going to say that. I mean, I, obviously, we would have loved to have Hillary Clinton. I think we're all going to wish. I think we do every day wish that's yeah. the case, but it's not. But I... Going in, I think about this a lot. In the last week of the election, I was talking to, I mean, I probably talked to, we talked to a lot of press folks, and I kept talking about this pent-up energy by women of all ages who were ready to just sort of explode on election night with, when I, at the time, I thought it was going to be with a with, victory. With joy, right. Because yeah. they were so contained. They've been told all over this country, you know, not to show your emotion, just be steady. We're, I mean, we're all told this as women. Don't show your emotion because it's too much. And it was pent up. Well, 
it's, it exploded. Mm-hmm. Now, it exploded as a result of a loss, but what we have seen at Emily's List, and we're not alone, is a huge energy, a wave of folks who have become donors, who have become activists, and who want to run. We have had an extraordinary number of, and I'm sure you have at the DLCC as well, call up and say, how do I do this? What can I do, yeah. What can Mm. I do? How do I run? And Emily's List is gonna be taking this on with our partners uh, and really working to go way deep on the ballot. And we've done legislative work for over a decade now, uh, but in 2018, this is gonna be a big piece of of what we're doing at Emily's List. So you've even seen, uh, and I think this is true of other organizations, fundraising, uh, we have step up. Or yes, real energy. Yeah, it was running. really interesting, and and I I may have my numbers a little off here, but I've been at Emily's List now seven years. Which can you? It's only, I can't wow. believe it. it's really? been so yeah. fast. It's been the fastest seven years of my life, by the way. It's just boom. So I've seen a few fundraising months after elections now at Emily's List, and usually what happens is you have the election, mm-hmm. and then you then get your money just, report the next day, yeah. and it's like. Two dollars. No, it's like, you're like, oh wow, and you just, but you know it, and you plan for it as an organization. Sure. Uh, we had an extraordinary boost mm. of resources coming in. Uh, I mean, I think we did five hundred thousand dollars in the first few days. I mean, this is unheard. There's been years where we didn't raise five hundred thousand dollars between election day and December thirty first. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to give you a yeah. sense of how it drops off typically. Folks were, they were mad and they are energized and they are energized in a whole set of ways. Mm-hmm. Donors, volunteers, were candidates, uh, and you're seeing it with this incredible energy around these, uh, these wonderful activists who have at the grassroots level kicked off this march that's going to be happening I, in January. Know, it's, all, it's all this pent up energy that was waiting to explode. It has. Right. And it's going to affect I think every organization and our our government, our politics for the years to come. The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is the Bill Press Show. Well, they promised to do it and they're going to do it. No doubt about it. Now that they control both the House and the Senate and the White House, Republicans are going to vote to repeal Obamacare. But you know what? It's like the dog finally catching the car. Then what do they do? And the truth is they have no idea. They don't know. They've been working at it for seven years, but they still have no plan to replace Obamacare with anything, which means that 21 million American families who now have health insurance for the first time in their lives, will lose their health insurance and be left with nothing. If you ask me, that's no way to make America great again. That's my parting shot for today. I'm Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car... Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.